Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And Happy New Year to everybody. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Welcome back. Although you've, you may have already heard our first New Year post, which was to close out the 12 days of Christmas, which you have reminded me now many times that the 12 days of Christmas starts on Christmas Day and thus goes out past New Year's. You're learning and living, Santo. <laughs> learning and living. Uh, I really am. Makes me happy. Well, what's the main thing you think of when you think of a new year? Uh, me personally uh, is, uh, God, I should really go to the dentist. I don't think I've been there in a year. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh you're you're leading me down the pathway of like resolutions, right? I should be thinking of, you know, what like new year new you type of thing where, you know. Yeah, it's a chance that a lot of people use to reinvent themselves in some way or resolve to change something. And there's a lot of people who don't. For me, I work out so rarely that they might as well call it the he's dead gym nasium. <laughs> Although to be very fair, you're a pretty fit individual. Um, I don't know that we've shared this with our listeners, but you sir ran a half marathon. I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> And you did it out of the blue, too. Well, okay, I'll be that guy. I'd like to congratulate uh, Dr. Josh on uh, yeah, being actually quite a healthy individual, despite... Despite his best efforts. <laughs> I've tried so hard not to be a fit individual. 
Why? So that said, I thought it was high time that we brought you a journal club dedicated to new things and new ways to reinvent yourself. Not quite resolutions. No, no, just ways to change. Uh, Some of these things uh, we might actually be, you know, like knocking down your resolutions if, uh, you know, this is what you regularly do. I actually learned a few cool things, Josh, about resolutions over the past couple of days that, for instance, resolutions work best with a timeline. If you set goals, not dreams, meaning that you actually say, I'm going to accomplish something by a certain date, and you make that date relatively short, you know, days and weeks rather than months long. Um, and then the other thing is to make very concrete type goals. So rather than I'm going to go to the gym more, for instance, which you're not going to do three times per week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you put them in your calendar. I will go put my handprints in the wet cement near the gym. There is your concrete <laughs> resolution. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. But the last thing I should say, don't tell a lot of people about your resolutions. Don't tell a lot of people about what you're going to do. Um, so it's kind of interesting. We're all about the reward system, right, Josh? Dopamine. If you tell a lot of people that, oh, yeah, I'm going to hit the gym this year, and then they congratulate you, the interesting thing that happens is that you get that dopamine rush of like, oh, yeah, they congratulated me on the, the that I told them I was going to go to the gym. And now you already have that inherent reward um, instead of going and earning it, you know, by by doing the thing you were going to say. So don't right. don't talk about your resolution to too much. Just now with that said, let hear. us dispense advice and resolutions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Such as when you are spending all this time in the gym, the natural instinct <laughs> everybody has is to diet yeah. uh, or to change your diet. I know the ketogenic diet is very popular. The paleo diet has been in and out quite a long time. (laughs) The way most people diet is by cutting carbs, things like rice, pasta, bread, anything that usually gets lumped into the delicious category. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, The yummy stuff. It's been common knowledge for a long time that low-carb diets are the best way to lose weight, and it's just about counting calories, doing all these things. And thankfully, science has finally proven what you've secretly known all along. Low-carb diets are unsafe and should be avoided. (laughs) Yeah, so here's kind of the interesting paradox when it comes to low-carb diets. Um, they work really, really well in the in the short term. There have been a few controlled studies that have looked at psychologically the approach to low carb and um, what people do when they actually reduce their calories as well as cut out carbohydrates and replace those calories with proteins and fats. In the short term, if the goal is like short term weight loss, it actually works fairly well in comparison with other diets out there. So I think, Josh, like the famous ones are like Atkins, South Beach, which say, you know, cut out 
breads, pastas, of course, the refined sugar stuff too, like cakes and cookies, which none of us would ever recommend to eat very frequently anyway. And then replace it with things like meat, um, legumes, these kind of things uh, in order to make up the calories. And then you count up to like whatever, 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 calories. The problem is long-term a, the weight does not stay off, especially even when you try to reintroduce those carbs, because you can't stay off carbs forever. You just can't. Your body doesn't work that way. In a few kind of niche categories, right? Like if you are an Inuit with a long genetic history of Inuit parentage, um, then those those people are adapted. Yeah. However, most of us are Inuits. <laughs> I I'm definitely an out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you can't you can't sustain it. You reintroduce the carbs, the weight rebounds and you actually get some pretty bad consequences when it comes to things like diabetes and heart disease. So a study was conducted by the US National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey lasting from 1999 to 2010. And it looked at the relationship between low-carb diets and all causes of death in about 25,000 people, just shy of that number. Most of the people in the survey were about 47 years old, evenly split between men and women. And the researchers looked at how they answered the survey, divided them up into what proportion of their diet was carbs. Risks of death from heart disease strokes and cancer were increased by 51%, 50%, and 35% respectively, with the strongest link being in non-obese older participants who just had very, very low-carb diets for whatever reason, which is not that we're encouraging to go out and eat nothing but carbs, delicious, delicious mouth-watering death that you would die. <laughs> That's, I was thinking about, you know, like if you were telling ways, but the problem is that like there's deliciousness while you're eating the carbs, but the way that you die afterwards, you know, the actual, oh, my foot fell off and I got a stroke. Yes, but these low carb diets are also not good because in case one study wasn't enough for you, the Lancet followed people from 1987 to 2012 averaging 45 to 60 years, and had 15,000 adults in it. And again, low-carb diets were associated with reduced lifespan across all causes of death. So okay. as with any diet, it really should only be short-term for losing weight. There are certain diets that are simply not yeah. sustainable. Um, certainly, low-carb diets are not something you can commit to lifelong without suffering some pretty severe consequences. And a lot of the protein-only diets also can start veering into dangerous territory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, we know exactly what's going on when it comes to why this happens. Um, NHANES are, are really good surveys for um, finding correlations, um, but they don't necessarily – these back. correlations, I'd say, are pretty strong. And they seem to show that, you know, that 
those people who follow these type of diets don't do very well over the long haul. So, you know, the the best way to go really is, you know, if you want to, re, you know, lose weight, you want to get healthier, is to reduce calories overall and to balance carbohydrates, fats, and proteins well, and then cut out all the unnecessary stuff, um, which usually has to do with like really salty junk food and refined sugars. Now, the next story is another way to reinvent yourself. Some people work on recreating or reinventing their physical body. Others open their perspectives. And Santosh, have you heard of LSD microdosing? Yeah. Oh my God. Are you, listen, are you actually going to show me that there's some merit to this crap? Because, <laughs> okay, let me, do you want to tell the people or should I tell the people? Well, why don't you introduce us to simply what the concept is, judgment-free, and then we can offer a point-counterpoint. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. Um, so uh, LSD, a couple of other psychedelics such as psilocybin, which is find, found in magic mushrooms, um, are really, really interesting chemicals. And, um, you know, for a long time, they weren't studied because there was a lot of fear surrounding them. Um, and this was the same kind of fear that surround marijuana and a couple of other um, schedule one drugs. Um, and and the truth of the matter is that, you know, we, we should at least understand what they do. So uh, there have been a good amount of data that's come out that has shown that um, these psychedelics are very useful for kind of resetting the brain um, when some sort of trauma has occurred. So tr- using these as treatment for things like PTSD is is really, really promising. On the other side of things, when regulation started loosening up and people were taking a look at LSD and psilocybin to look at its effects for altering the mind, other people were like, well, I don't want to go like full on psychedelia, but I just want to see what a little bit does. And I I think this craze kind of started in Silicon Valley where a lot of these woo-woo kind of crazes start. A lot of people, uh, wealthier people in Silicon Valley were saying, oh, if you take just a little bit of LSD where you don't get all the hallucinations and stuff, but then, you know, you just get more creative. You can like sprinkle a little little on your morning granola (laughs) and just go out and start your day. If you're a graphic designer or if you're a software engineer or something and you can get super creative and, and do cool things. Um, well, the truth of the matter is, is that this has the propensity to maybe do something good and a lot of propensity for harm. So judgment free, judgment free. I think it's a good idea to study this practice of what's called microdosing or using a small amount of psychedelics, which actually don't produce the hallucinogenic effects to see their impact on um, things like creativity and also to study their safety profile over the long haul because some of these people want to do it daily and just make it a part of their life. However enthusiastic I may sound in describing this study, I in no way am endorsing the use of microdose. Now, a study was done by MAPS, a nonprofit organization that studies... Uh, <laughs> good, recreational good drugs idea. such as LSD, marijuana, and MDMA. They've 
also brought other yeah. studies to the fore, such as using magic mushrooms to treat anxiety, depression, and addiction, and using ecstasy to treat PTSD. And their studies did seem to indicate yeah. that there was <laughs> a statistically yeah, it's, it's significant semi-recreational reduction use. Yeah. in anxiety disorders or generalized anxiety in all the patients in the microdosing group, none of who were experiencing hallucinogenic effects. Additionally, a separate study conducted at the University of Zurich by Dr. Katrin Preller and Dr. Franz Vollenweider were looking at how LSD changes the impression of meaning while listening to music, songs that have no meaning to them, just random, I don't know, techno or pop music and would suddenly have a deep meaning imparted if you were on LSD. Yeah, so um, largely instrumental, right? So you can use, um, you know, any anything which is, yeah, classical orchestral music, jazz. People who are trained musicians or, or who've been working in music all their lives, um, you know, we, we interpret this music in different ways without the need for lyrics, per se. This is a new frontier in drug testing. I think it is really, really cool to see not just the research going into these practices, but also to see that standardized testing for these types of weird uses of drugs, I should say, or, or non-prescription use of drugs, so, um, that we're, we're finding a way to standardize how we test this so we can go about this scientifically. And when you're dealing with uh, a change like creativity, that's really, really hard to judge objectively. And without objective mathematical standards, you know, you're no longer doing science. You're just kind of describing. So in this study, they looked with MRI scans, functional MRI scans, and did see changes in neural response and blood flow in a number of different brain areas in response to the music while on the LSD separate from the control. But the best study, the one I am the most excited about, is one that is going to start, oh, probably next year sometime. Or no, it just it just started in September. Yeah, the, the September trial. Um, and then there are a few others that received approval for the, the phase 2B clinical trial of psilocybin. For LSD microdosing, Ballas says... Sizgeti. Uh that's mispronounced, certainly. I'm sorry. Devised a perfect way to randomize and double blind his trial. Trust the people who microdose. He wants these people who routinely take a substance that could potentially alter their perception uh, to throw into the mix a dummy placebo pill and Whatever they do for their daily dosing, just pull it out of that same jar so they don't know whether or not they are taking a actual LSD microdose or a sugar pill and then completing various cognitive games, questionnaires, and tests every day and sending them to the researcher where he will then find out based on the packet they sent him, which they took. Yeah, this is a difficult type of study to carry on, right? Because this is survey based and you're asking the participants to actually rate 
their own responses. And this has a lot of inherent bias to it, um, but it it is a good start to one of these studies. So you you provide a lot of baseline data this way. Because when you find out what the participants themselves are going through um, using a survey-based tool, analysis tool like this, then in future studies, you can actually account for those feelings. So I'm most excited about this study because I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens in what is a very small pool of candidates. And when you take away the mind-altering drugs from our tech geniuses. You know, I I love people in Silicon Valley, and I think, you know, doing things to kind of expand your mind, it might be useful, but seeing first and foremost if these types of modalities can be useful for people who really need this type of help, uh, I think that's the most important. Yeah, and speaking of... Another way of reinventing yourself when we're talking about good and bad things. Santosh, one of your favorite topics in science to talk about is CRISPR. Yeah, not the where we put our um, produce, but the gene editing technology. It's true. It's true. And I, I should note, and I, I think it's fair to say, whenever this type of uh, data gets put out, or even you know rumors and things like this out on the internet, then people start playing with it in weird ways because that's what just what human beings do, and that's a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time. Correct, because it has the potential to one day alter the human genome to prevent disease or other conditions, and that's a very exciting thing. With a couple ethical implications. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be fair, CRISPR is now, it's it's kind of a standard tool. Um, ever since, uh, you know, Dr. Doudna out of Berkeley, um, you know, published her work uh, and the group out um, at MIT published their work. Um, using this technology in cell culture, on bacteria, on parasites in my case, um, you know, it's it's a beautiful, cheap, and fast little tool to use. And it was, it was kind of inevitable, well, it, it was kind of inevitable that someone was going to be like, dude, this is so easy to use, humans, like just boom, you know. So, speaking of standard tools... Yeah, We have Chinese scientist Hei Zhangkui, uh-huh. who did, in fact, experiment on humans with CRISPR. And in November of 2018, mm-hmm. he, his report leaked to the media of the world's first gene-edited babies in China who had had their DNA altered to be more resistant to HIV. And this uh, rocked the scientific community and not in a good way. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it stinks sometimes to look at scientific progress from the outside in. You know, if, if you're not a scientist or even if you're a scientist and you're looking over at a completely different field. You know, I work in infectious diseases. Um, this person is working on human genetics. Um, when you're looking outside in and you see 
creeping slow progress or incremental progress, it can be awfully frustrating, especially if you're the one living with the disease, right? But the truth of the matter is every good sustained change that we've had for the better in humanity has come from slow, careful, incremental change, especially when we've taken the time to consider safety and ethics every point of the way. Um, I'll give you a great uh, example. I'll give you a not so great example. X-rays. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that we didn't <laughs> consider that, you know, the, the ethics and standards for, you know, a long time and the safety, we just went haywire and a lot of people got hurt, right? We had to take massive steps back um, in the early days of X-ray technology. The same is true for radiation in general, by the way, when Mary Curie discovered radium. Okay, so we were putting radon and radium in friggin' everything. Okay, and people lost their jaws. Their their jaws literally fell out. Josh, <laughs> so you know, you know those those bad kind of things can really really happen if if you don't watch out. And it's true, you can say that oh, there was a little bit of suffering, but now you know we have X rays and radiation therapy, but. I don't think that's a fair trade-off. I don't think that's... So, circling <laughs> back around. Yeah. The important thing here, and where a lot of the controversy is coming in, is that no one in the scientific community objects to using CRISPR on embryos or editing human genes, right? So the U.S. National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine says human gene editing is actually a very good idea in principle used for some of these same things. However, they also follow that up with saying the technology and regulations in place are too immature and it's too early to start making genetically modified babies. So CRISPR has been used to modify human embryos both in the U.S. and throughout the world, but any of the embryos that are modified scientists cannot implant them in a mother's womb and the embryos must be safely destroyed at the end of the research. Yeah, that's, and I think that's the right approach right now. You know, um, there was good data on the front end, you know, that CRISPR was clean and accurate and really great. There was other data that came out, um, you know, shortly afterwards in a mouse study that, CRISPR can do a lot more changes to the genome than we originally thought rather than doing, you know, single targeted changes that we thought we were doing with a very low error rate. Um, and, and that paper was retracted. You know, we're, this is very, very young technology. This is this should be treated as if, again, we found, you know, the first way to do x-rays. And we should keep that firmly in mind that we did a lot of harm when we just toyed around with this technology. So the first two X-Men, the two girls who are the first genetically enhanced humans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, You know, I, at least he wasn't trying to make like some superhuman, right? He, he tried to edit well, the genes. Well, 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 well. Yeah, okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Before you start heaping praise on every 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 X Man needs a villain. If I've learned nothing else from comic books, I've learned oh. that. So yeah, okay, so yeah, yeah. These two genetically enhanced humans will be monitored 
by the scientists, along with a team of doctors for the next 18 years, where they'll be evaluated for unintended mutations, unexpected side effects, and confirming their resistance to HIV. However, rather than apologizing for this violation of ethics, said he specifically felt proud and went on to say 30 embryos were created during the trial, of which 70% were gene edited. And in addition to the introduction of the X-Twins, let's just call them Pietro and Wanda. <laughs> All right. Very, very good uh, Age of Ultron quote. Sure. Uh, okay. Although it's, it's two young women, I should say. He also announced another yeah. pregnancy that he would not reveal the location of that he was also claiming was CRISPR edited. So now we have three yeah. new mutants in the world and an evil scientist mad, you might say, defying all convention. <laughs> so this is the culmination of a three-year project that involved mice, monkeys, and eventually human embryos. Parents were informed of the implications, which is easy to say right up until your child starts shooting laser beams out of their eyes. <laughs> First of all, Josh, I've gone over this with you before. The mutations that are in X-Men just they they can't happen. This, look, that's look, not I'll, how gene I'll mutations. I'll accept works. that for <laughs> some of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you just uh, you know just a one-off. Like just we were talking about Cyclops, the punch dimension where he gets his corona from doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, no, that's fine. Cyclops. So, Cyclops yeah, it's, it's a terrible ability. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I applaud ingenuity i really do and you know to be fair you know there were conversations that were held with dr church over in boston who's one of the premier names of uh evolution and gene editing and especially in human beings this is something that should be you know thought of as hiv is especially as a growing threat and um what our our researcher did here was you know, uh, fairly cavalier, but a kind of a good goal. But I'm going to caution, you know, we used, he used CRISPR on these embryos. We still don't know enough about what CRISPR can do in terms of wreaking havoc across uh, the genome, not just the target that you're aiming for. Um, I, I hope these kids are A, real, I don't know if these kids are real <laughs> because these are all claims up to this point. Uh, and B, you know, that they're safe and that they're healthy and all these kind of things. And, and I hope we get good follow-up data and that subsequent trials are done with care and with safety and ethics in mind. And remember, guys, it's totally okay for humans and mutants to coexist. We each have things to offer yeah. the other. <laughs> so peace, keep family. training. Out there, <laughs> wherever you are, small children, your time yeah. will come. I don't know when you're going to turn into Magneto, but I just know you're going to turn into Magneto. <laughs> and I don't want you to have a platform. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying that of the two, he was the more honest about his intentions. So babies may have been gene edited. We actually don't even know yet. We all are hoping that they're safe and healthy, but... Uh, I think the best scientists on the planet uh, urge a lot of caution proceeding with studies like this, especially in human beings.
You can find the research in our show notes or your local comic book store. No. <laughs> Stop it. Anyway. Stop it. Last but not least, after improving our bodies and opening our minds <laughs> and editing our genes, fitting into some new genes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are these the resolutions these that we're are, trying to once help once we've accomplished all of these things through the magic of science Shut the next up. step is to use all of this to attract a member of your desired orientation so that's right folks get to swiping and i found what is quite possibly the most entertaining new method of dating santosh are you familiar yeah with pheromone parties oh boy yeah at least this is like harmless right yeah i'm familiar with pheromone parties i believe that like there's apps for these now like you can actually find them right yeah there are there are apps and get-togethers allow me to to describe one such website to you members who attend these these parties or use these apps are told to sleep in a t-shirt for three nights to capture their odor uh-huh. or to capture their odor print their their smell a print you're you're trying to lay the your your yeah. essence your, your essence <laughs> your musk <laughs> yeah and you bring it yeah you pack okay. that in to a ziploc bag bring it to the party now white clean and cotton are best but it's a party not a lab so you know do what you can. Bags are labeled pink yeah. for girl, blue for boy. Each bag is assigned a number, and only the guest knows what their shirt's number is. This this particular one is for, you know, like heterosexual strum. Well, this particular website, but there are, because, again, okay. it's 2019. There yeah. are smell-o-vision <laughs> parties for all. The bags oh, with the odor-imprinted laundry are placed on a table. Labeled pink if they belong to a girl, blue if they belong to a boy. Guests can smell the bags at their leisure throughout the party. (laughs) Yeah, this is like speed dating, but with your face. (laughs) How else do you do it? Yeah, just... (laughs) No, no, just like straight, like face into a bag. Just boom. Like you just just smush your nose into it. That's how I got thrown out of my last three speed datings. If a guest (laughs) finds the smell attractive... They take a picture with the bag of dirty laundry at a photographer station. These pictures are then projected as a slideshow on the wall at the party. So you could be, I don't know, sniffing a bag and then your photo goes up on the wall while someone else is bag sniffing. (laughs) You can also... You can also meet okay. while simultaneously bag sniffing. Maybe you and another young bag sniffer spark a connection. Best line of the entire website. Yeah. If you see a picture of a guest oh, you boy. find attractive okay. holding your bag's number, this is your green light to talk to them. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I. You know, speed dating, you try to get an impression as fast as you can. Tinder, where you just get an impression from... Just sight, but this is straight, wait, just wait, like sniffing. Yeah, there's more. There does. need to there be does. more. There what, needs what to be happening? more. We were given was All right, insufficient go, go, go. to make a decision. Oh, is it? Is, <laughs> is it so insufficient? Please tell me how this could get any better At because the I'm end hooked. Of the party, a Facebook <laughs> album 
A Facebook yeah. album is created, and this sounds like somebody who came up with it was microdosing. No, no, they weren't because microdosing wouldn't give you the types of crazy ass hallucinations that this takes. At the but, end yeah. of the party, <laughs> a Facebook album is created, and all of the pictures are tagged. So if you missed your match at the party, you can still contact them. Like, hey, baby, smell you later. <laughs> God. Maybe Will Smith was just hitting on the cabbie in the opening. If anything, you could say that cab yeah. was rare. Oh, <laughs> I hate you. I hate so, you so much. Now that I've had <laughs> at least a couple minutes to enjoy myself, yeah, I yeah. want you, because I know how much it's going to just anger you, I want you to yeah. convince me that human pheromones are a thing. And I should buy into this concept. How the hell am I supposed... Oh, fine. The easiest way to do this is to be really theoretical about it. Dude, we're mammals. We give off scents. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff in the body odors that you can smell. And, you know, just like every other mammal, there's almost certainly little chemical signals in there out of your sweat glands and stuff that you can't really smell but that register in your brain and could tell you that you're meeting the one and um, there's good animal studies to prove this and there's also smaller studies with humans that show that people who women who sniffed shirts and found those shirts for a compatible mate found a complementary immunologic genotype, meaning their histocompatibility complexes or their HLAs, their human leukocyte antigens, were complementary to each other and fit really well, making an ideal mate to make a child who had an ideal immunologic profile Basically, when you merged those two human beings together. and go, damn, yeah, so, check out those antibodies. Yeah, th those are the type of antibodies that I want my <laughs> offspring to carry. And, and, and T-cell receptors. So mm. it has been supposed or noised about in the scientific community <laughs> that our human pheromone equivalents would be the sex hormones, testosterone, estradiol, estrogen, or at least, right. Progesterone. That, and there's been sure. two waves of experiments on these kinds of steroid molecules that are claimed to be the human pheromones. The first set was in the late 1970s through the 1990s, and it tested the precursors to uh -huh. them. So androstenone and androstenol, which are the the ancestors, the grandparents of both testosterone, estrogens, all of those. You can think of them as putative human pheromones. <laughs> this was a, a lifted concept, right? So what you can do in order to convince people is to give them little maybes, oh, you know, we have some evidence and this kind of a thing and string enough of those sentences together until you land on pay money to come smell sweaty shirts. And that's exactly what this study <laughs> did by giving it to yeah. the Erox Corporation, which simply delivered it to an experiment saying fragrance compositions containing human pheromones without any further qualification. And then they got people to smell them and noted sex specific yeah. effects 
I think it's it's worth investigating, but here's the real truth, Josh. As much as there are uh, plenty of organisms on this planet that rely on pheromones, all the way insects, plants, mammals, uh, you know, as as much as they all rely on this chemical signaling in order to find mates, we haven't found a lot of evidence in humans that a we give off any of these molecules which we find in our you know in our close relatives or far away uh biological relatives on the evolutionary tree um nor do we actually have the receptors in our nose to actually bind those types of chemicals and send the signal well, to our brain and so and i'm going to come back and and give you one last counterpoint uh now Admittedly, okay. these are very weak studies, cherry-picked just to counter-argue you. At, at least you're being transparent about it. That's, that's Only fine. because I really just wanted to tell you that there are two studies. One that shows female tears are reported to affect men's blood testosterone levels, but the biological significance or relevance is not clear. As the researchers note, yeah. we were not able to <laughs> test male tears. <laughs> Yeah, because they don't exist. <laughs> what the hell kind of dumbass excuse is um, this? They also, a different set of researchers was slightly more responsible and tested female sure. axillary sense as well as uh, lactation-derived uh, aromas. And that did modify the testosterone and cortisol levels detected from the saliva. So there is a response, but it is not okay. necessarily a conscious one, but not like, I don't think it's subconscious enough to warrant dating. Now this doesn't mean that smells cannot be non pheromone and associated with positive reinforcement. Um, childhood memories, highly emotionally charged memories access a different part of your brain. And it's not about pheromones. It's about right. responding to the gestalt of a situation. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's actually why uh, one type of smell can trigger a very intense positive emotion in one person. But at the same time, you know, the exact same scent, if it's associated with a bad childhood memory in another individual, it'll, you know, trigger that same kind of negative emotion. So, it is very person to person dependent, um, and it needs to be put together as a whole picture. It's not as straightforward as this smell is joyful or this smell is sad. Um, and once again, I, you know, to kind of stack on top of it, pheromones are not scents, right? Um, pheromones are not smells. They're, they're two different. Uh, activators of physiology and cognitive processes. So, um, you know, they should be kind of thought of as such. So, you know, the women who were smelling um, the the shirts to find mates, you know, to see who they were compatible with, with the t-shirts, um, the, the actual study, when they were not on hormonal birth control, they did choose men who had a human leukocyte antigen group that was kind of complementary to their own. But when they took birth control, that association actually reversed. And they found uh, HLAs, you know, the, the scents that they were attracted to or the, the shirts that they were attracted to 
were from men whose HLA genotype was kind of closer to their own. And that's something that you actually don't want in a mate when you're looking for like a reproductive partner, because you know, too many of, uh, or an overexpression of a, a particular genotype from human leukocyte antigens can actually lead to things like autoimmune disorders and allergies, you know, the kind of negative side of immunity. So I felt that was really, really cool. Um, it kind of gave us a hint that the, hey, maybe there is something going on. But I think as far as like trying to choose a dating partner, like way more research so is needed. So let that be a call to action to everyone. Go out there, do things that make you sweaty, and go find someone who wants to sniff it. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with none of that. <laughs> I work so hard trying to put together these cogent thoughts. You undo it in, I, I'm not kidding, that was less than two seconds. You take all this time to make this beautiful awesome premise in this thing and you just pop up it's like i've got a premise in my pants <laughs> do you know how long i have to wait for you to set me up sometime <laughs> that's it for this oh. week <laughs> yeah happy travels <laughs> this show is produced by me with a lot of help yeah. from all our co-hosts our theme music is by rachel leisure <laughs> if you'd like to support us spiritually emotionally or financially you can find links to do that in the show notes along with the sources for any articles we used in this episode also Try giving us a listen on Radio Public, because for everybody who listens to us on that platform, we get paid. Not much, but every little Yeah, it does. And um, we promise, you know, we're we're doing things now like looking for editors out there and uh, and, and making this into a, a better production for you guys. I don't know if money's going to fix this problem, but it might. But it certainly can't hurt. So that's our pitch. Until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.